Hey, hey, listeners. Welcome to The Extra Unordinary, a podcast where extra people talk unordinary media. My name is Addison, and tonight is our official Pride Night. Well, we're starting Pride Month with a whole month of movies, interviews, books, and more featuring people in the LGBT community. My name is Addison. I'm your host, and in case you were unaware, I am queer, and tonight I have with me my friends, Joe. How you doing, Joe? How's your day been? I'm doing great. I had a wonderful day. I just got woke up from a nap, so I'm ready to go. That's awesome. All right, John. I'm doing pretty good. Work was all over the place, but I finished a uh, little craft project, and that was nice. Oh, I saw that. (laughs) <laughs> I brought that one. That's going to be helpful for our event later. I'm excited for you. Me too. All right. So I have a round table for us tonight. Actually, Joe came up with it because my original round table was very vague. <laughs> <laughs> it was difficult to answer. Um, yeah. There's, at least for me, um, the two that you had were, I was like trying to think back as like, when was the first time I realized some people were gay? I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> The question we have tonight is, who is a gay person or member of the LGBT community that you admire and why? Why don't you start, Joe? Um, this one actually was also difficult, just because there was too many options. <laughs> so for the first two questions, I, I, I don't remember the answer to that. I was probably like three years old and have absolutely no memory of it. Um, but then this one was like, I've got a list of like 40 different people I could put down. And so I ended up just like Googling a list of people, of like famous gay people and stuff. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to give John Barrowman um, props for this one. I was just mad about that because you stole mine. <laughs> the first thing that came to mind on me. I was at Dragon Con one year, he popped out of a random door in line for a panel in a TARDIS dress and red heels, made a big show, waved at everybody, and then ran back inside and did the panel. That guy is amazing. You know, I have even more respect for him. <laughs> I saw him in that dress at Dragon Con. It was great. Oh yeah, he won't die about it. <laughs> oh no. I love everything about him. He's a singer, he's a performer, he's an actor, he's damn good looking. I mean, I only have one thing I dislike about him. him. Yeah, the only thing I dislike about him is that he can't get fired from any show he's on, even if it makes sense for the character to die, because he's too damn likable. The (laughs) showrunners just can't get rid of him. (laughs) No, he's the best. Yeah. He's too likable. They just don't want him off the show and hardly blame him. He is super likable. He is basically the only reason I watch Doctor Who. Torchwood's a much harder one, though. Yeah, I Ooh. haven't watched Torchwood. Yeah, yeah. Torchwood I've got through a few seasons and it kind of lost me for a little bit. Um, I like him better in Doctor Who. He's yeah, great in Torchwood Doctor Who. Torchwood real dark and, you know, Barrowman just shines with the whole zany goops thing. I feel like the rest of the ensemble kind of brings him down. Yeah. yeah. Bring the whole show up. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. All right, John, who is a gay person you admire and why? All right, well, as I said, uh, still mine. John Bertelman was my first thought, and 
Um, I agree with everything he said, and I already threw in my new, my, my own two cents. Um, so the top two I came up with uh, were Stephen Fry, just because of how perfectly intellectual and calm he is, and in particular for the um, LGBT community, you don't reach that level of calm in the face of raging bigotry unless you've faced it for a long time. Oh, yeah. He's just got that in space, and he always approaches the thing with a calm, dry wit. Uh, he puts that into his works, he puts that into his conversations, he puts that into his, you know, how he treats people, and I like, and I really like that. I admire that. Uh, on the other end, is the complete opposite type of personality, and that's Neil Patrick Harris, who, I, who I've been utterly in love with ever since Harold and Kumar. Because, uh, yeah. for, <laughs> I don't know if it's, you know, contrary to being a gay man or because he's a gay man that he can play the perfect straight douchebag <laughs> he, can, he can play that perfect creepy pushy dude bro to just a better extreme than anyone ever could and it's amazing and aside from that one trope he's really good at playing he brings this insane stage level energy to absolutely every project he's on and he, he's just always over the top just always 110% dedicated, and that's amazing. Yeah. He was also my top three. Um, been a fan since Doogie Hauser, which yeah. was probably before both of your times. <laughs> um, but Doogie Hauser, um, Starship Troopers, when he started oh, to yeah. come back in Starship Troopers, just in everything since. Yeah, I love how for a charismatic great guy he plays evil douchebags so well like from barney to his role in gone girl to a series of unfortunate events like they're all completely different characters but he plays them so magnificently you know i think it's somewhat required like you can't be that type of character and be self-aware about it unless you're that level of charismatic and intellectual. Like, you have to be able to wrap your head around the role entirely, and then also be able to throw that viewpoint out in order to play it pretty well. And that's the only reason I can come up with that he's so good at those types of roles. Yeah, his family is also super adorable. They're precious. Oh, but yeah. I've only seen his husband in a couple of things, but I think the last thing I saw him in was a YouTube series called Neil's Puppet Dreams, and they're both off the rails the whole time. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Oh, it's real weird. It's literally a YouTube series about Neil Patrick Harris having weird dreams about puppets. That is right up our alley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No pun intended. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'd, he'd, he'd appreciate the plan, let's be honest. <laughs> so, have the both of you seen the trailer for The Happy Time Murders? I have. Yes, 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 yes. You know, I, I, hate, I hate to say it, I loved the concept. The trailer did not make me laugh once. Oh, that's too bad. Well, I know, but I love Brian Henson so much. He gave us Farscape which is probably the nerdiest thing we'll ever reference on this podcast, but, oh, I'm a, I love Farscape. It's my favorite thought ever, and that was 
something Brian Henson really ran with um, after his dad loosened up on the reins. And I was really sad to get really excited for this and then not laugh at the trailer. I'm hoping it was just a bad trailer. I'm willing to bet it's a bad trailer because most trailers are just terrible nowadays. Yeah. Like, anything from, like, a studio that sounds interesting, I don't watch the trailer for. Because they'll, A, either give everything away. Or, B, it'll make the movie look bad and I'll lose interest. Yeah, it's, it happens a lot. I know, I know a couple people who have that same policy. Yeah, that's why I won't watch Star Wars trailers. Yeah, I remember when SG One started poking fun of that. That was a TV show trailer. Yeah, they had a huge, huge returning cameo in their 200th episode, and they literally cracked line in the show like, "That's unexpected. No one will see it coming. Are you kidding? It'll be in the trailer." And they were right. It was. All right. Uh. I have so many gay people I admire, so I'm going to do one for every letter in the LGBT community. Oh, wow. Because, overachiever. For lesbian, I choose Ellen. We all know Ellen. We all love Ellen. She is amazing. Human being. She gives a lot to charity. She is... A really good face for the gay community like she's charismatic charming friendly funny giving kind and she really broke broke ground with being one of the first major gay characters with their own TV sitcom back in the it was either the late 90s or early 2000s it was before a little bit before Will and Grace I believe all right for gay 2003. Ellen DeGeneres show, 2003. Okay. I think that's the talk show. Yeah, the Ellen show was her sitcom. The actual Ellen TV show is 94 to 98. Okay, so it was in the mid to late 90s. Way before Will and Grace. Way before Will and Grace. All right, and for G, Elton John. He's just wonderful. Like, he's a wonderful singer, like the... Humane Society, I go to every now and again to pet puppies and kitties. He uh, donates to. Um, he's also been an uh, amazing face for the gay community since he started performing. Um, it's hard to get more iconic than Elton John. Yeah, it's hard. I don't think you're going to get there. Yeah. For bisexual, I choose Lady Gaga. Um... She's greatly inspired me since I first heard her music around 10 years ago, and I've been to like three of her concerts, and I cried my eyes out at each of them. Um, She also does wonderful things for charity, is great to her fans. I know people who've met her and who've interviewed her, and she's always amazing to them. And I really admire her for her um, singing and acting abilities, as well as her kind heart, and for... The T, um, I choose my friend Steven. He's Aww. he's awesome. He's also a guest on this show sometimes, but um, he's awesome. He comes from a very small rural town in Alabama and um, faces that head on and 
is really great. He's just great. He's an awesome person. I love him to death. Yeah, coming from a small town is no small thing to overcome. No. Yeah. I'm proud of him for uh, for how much he's uh, grown and stuff like that. And he'll probably kill me for that because he says I mom him too much. <laughs> 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 and I don't think of anything more than a mom thing of announcing my love for him on a podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. For the meat and potatoes of the episode, we're going to be talking about the movie, But I'm a Cheerleader. Yeah. Uh, this movie was directed by Jamie Babbitt and written by Brian Wayne Peterson. It was released in 1999, I think. 1999 or 2000, I forgot to write that down. I'm not good at hosting oh, my own like show. 1999, according to IMDb. Okay, 1999. Woo! Yeah, I can never remember actors' names, so when we do these, I make a point to have IMDb up so I sound less stupid. <laughs> I, didn't I can remember a bench. Themes, complex emotions, cannot remember names to save my life. Understood. I'm bad with names as well. I just watched the movie twice and I can never remember the girl, the main girl's name, let alone anybody else's. Apparently it's Megan. Yeah, that's what I'm reading too. <laughs> yeah, it's either, like, it was going to have to be Megan or Sarah or Brittany or something along those lines with the background she comes from in this movie. They just needed the whitest preppiest name they could come up with and uh they did it buffy they, they got pretty close <laughs> like buffy. they could have done whitest and pre- whiter and preppier but they had to make her more relatable because you know she comes she's, she hits both of those extremes in the movie of being both this insane stereotype being this really realistically flawed adorable person that you really want to end up in a better place she's precious and the role of Megan is played by Natasha Leone, who is openly gay and has played many gay characters, uh, including her role as Nikki on Orange is the New Black. Um, it also stars Melanie Lenski, Dante Basco, Eddie Sibrian, I don't know, I butchered that name, Michelle Williams, Clea Duvall, Mink Stoll, Bud Court, and RuPaul, and Bull Shannon. Bull Shannon if you are a Night Court fan. Okay. Okay. I I never watched Night Court, so. Yeah, one of the gay couple on the taller of the two. Okay. Richard Mall. His character was Bull Shannon on Night Court, and one of my favorite characters growing up. Watching him on Night Court. That's cool. Very very talented guy. That's cool. I'm sad I don't know more of him, but I will change that because I really liked, I really liked the couple in this movie. Yeah. Take a, take a peek at Night Court when you get a chance at some point. It's a really, really good show. I will. All right, so a summary. 17-year-old Megan, who we were talking about just a minute ago, is an average high school student having lots of friends and being a part of the cheerleading squad. However, her loved ones seem to notice she is a bit different. Megan gets sent to True Directions, a bright and colorful conversion therapy camp led by the straight and narrow Mary. There, Megan is forced to admit she is a homosexual and do chores and tasks that will hopefully wipe the gay out of her. Unfortunately, it doesn't work, as Megan begins to fall for Graham, another young lesbian at True Directions. That's it. Yeah, surprisingly simple uh, like overview for 
a really complex thing. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really like in-your-face movie. Yeah, but they do a good job of making it like a subtle, goofy, feel-good romance, which is kind of weird for you know a scared straight camp because those places are horrifying. Yeah, we'll get into that. But first, John, I want to hear hear how you felt about the movie. Um, I, I feel kind of complexly about it because it was, like I said, it was a nice charming, feel-good romance story put in an absolutely weird and horrible context that also made a point to talk about the weird, horrible context, but not in a way that was off-putting. Like, this movie is both railing against its time and also a product of its time. And you can tell someone was trying to walk a very narrow line when they made this movie of trying to make you know, a queer love story, something that worked in 1999, which was not an easy thing to do with the general public. And uh, God, no. trying to tackle how off-base and horrible these scared straight camps could be, while also making it a campy romance, it's, it, it was a lot to take in. And it's, um, when you, if you watch it through without thinking about it on those levels, it seems just like another campy romance movie, just another brand of it. You know, it's sort of absorbing all of that along with the campy romance story, and then it's this huge dictatorial and writing effort to produce what they produced in the era that they produced it. That's a good analysis, because I watched this movie uh, at first when I was 13, and, you know, I was just kind of realizing at that point, oh, I kind of, like, girls as well as boys so i got the i got the campy funny john waters-esque movie out of it but when i rewatched it later when i was about 16 or 17 i really got this is horrifying actually this is yeah. scary it's a very pink and frilly concentration camp yes and i think that's a lot of the reason one that it didn't do so well back in the 90s when it was made is because it was just ahead of its time and it was trying to break down these barriers, whereas now it has become a cult classic because yeah. people are more open to it. It's not something that's very taboo. It's it's just the way people are and it's accepted. And now the whole concept of how they made it kind of humorous just seems ridiculous to us. Whereas back then, yeah. it's like, wow, people really do this, but they're putting it in a lighthearted manner. Yeah, my friend posted something on Facebook tonight. Uh, she works as a waitress. Let me pull that up real quick. Uh, my friend posted this tonight. Thing an actual customer said today, I'm fine with people being gay. I just think they should be more ashamed of it. Ugh, that wow. was said out loud today in 2018. Yeah. Somebody at a table said that to her as she was waitressing. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some people shouldn't be allowed in public. Yeah, but people have, not even just had, have horrible opinions about gay people. Oh, yeah. So can you imagine the audacity of thinking, okay, I'm, I'm to the point where I can consider this morally fine, but I really think that my point of view and my stance and my sexuality is so much more important than everyone else's, that everyone else should be ashamed of it, even though I'm saying it's okay. Like, even if you pretend for a second that she's actually being honest about being okay with gay people, then everything else is still also horrible. Like, 
Just nothing about that phrase is okay. Not, nothing. None of it. Even if you take everything at an honest face value, it's still someone being so horrible that they're literally upset at them for not being exactly like them or not having the proper amount of shame about not being exactly like them. Yeah, I mean... The ego that takes. Yeah, it's pretty awful because, you know, I used to... I used to view it as, oh, I guess people are just, you know not accepting because of the way they were raised but then i kind of realized then i kind of realized oh that's saying stuff like that is only a few steps away from like banning gay people and banning gay people is only a few steps away from like um killing gay people yeah this is where i come in on the conversation as a good sanity check um I, I am a CIS white guy. I was raised hyper-conservative. I went to a private school. My family is entirely Republican. And if I think that's bigoted and crazy, then everyone else should feel full reign. Like, <laughs> I, I'm the sanity check. Is that, that way, crazy bigoted bitch. Say it right out. Just, just, no. You can be raised in that entire environment, and by virtue of having an iota of sympathy, for other human beings, you will not be that horrible. I know I did it. And I came from the same place too. Came from a very conservative Christian family. Grew up with homosexuality is bad and all this other stuff. And I have gay friends and I love my gay friends and I, their choice is their choice. I mean, yeah. it's not even necessarily a choice. It's just who they are is who they are. Yeah, no, I've been, I've like the, all it took for me to break out of that mindset was literally meeting a few gay people. All it took, you have one conversation and then suddenly that insane mindset just kind of dissolves because, oh, clearly I'm talking to another human and that, that's it, that's, that's just it. I'm talking to another human. That should be all you need to not be a colossal, horrible douchebag about it. Yeah. I hate it when people maintain these things and say, oh, it's just how I was raised. Like, well, buddy, just like, excuses bullshit, and you know it, and I know it. And I'm not, I'm not going to let you sit on it because you decided that excuse. I mean, we were raised by people who thought that, and we were able to change our viewpoints. Why can't they? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's crazy. Like, and I don't even want to get started on conversion therapy because it's just so goddamn awful to talk about. Yeah. But I want well, to talk about it because it's important. If the working, its success rate would have been crazy. Like, whether, it, whether it's good or evil, sure. Like, that's, I, I think we can all pretty well go on the side of that's pretty evil to try and say you have to fundamentally change who you are. But just on the fact that it exists and how hard it is to be LGBTQ in anywhere in today's society, if it worked, people would be signing up for it. Oh, yeah. Just freaking doesn't. And that means everyone running these things, pushing these things, no, it doesn't, but they're pushing for it anyway. Yeah, like, it. it's not even just, like, reading the Bible or, you know, just sitting in a room with a therapist. A lot of it goes... And did, well, fundamental torture. Yeah, it, there's real psychological torture that goes on. And it's um, just to steer us back to the movie so this doesn't become a horrible grim dark conversation about the grim dark reaches of humanity. Um, <laughs> Thank you, John. The movie does a very... Yeah, to pivot real hard for a second. <laughs> the movie does a real good job of limiting that 
down to just horrible misconceptions about how sexuality ties to gender and gender norms, even just how much gender norms matter. Like a woman running the camp legitimately thinks that if you train the women to scrub the floors, it will make them not gay anymore. Yeah. <laughs> House cleaning will cure the gay away. One of my favorite bits was early on when they're like having their intervention for her and like her best friend has some good points. It's like, look, you've got all these posters of women. Clearly you admire the female form a lot more than the rest of us. Like, okay, that's that's a pretty good point. And their dad comes out like, and then you try to make us eat this tofu? Like there's just right off the rails right there. <laughs> They just happen to be right, but her parents also think that the tofu is a gay thing. Yeah, it just goes into how many stereotypes and negative stereotypes that we project onto gay people as like, oh, you like tofu, you're a lesbian, oh, you're a male, and you have a lisp, you're gay. Yeah, like, um... If this movie was made today, there would be a lot more brunch references. Oh, yeah. <laughs> brunch for days. Brunch for days. One thing I liked about all of that, though, is the the parallel and symbolism that it was also providing, how cleaning your life and cleaning your thoughts will take away all those impure thoughts that you're having about the same gender and the same sex. How fixing an engine, if you fix the engine of your heart that'll somehow fix what's wrong and causing you to have these impure thoughts. And I thought it was a really smart way of paralleling that. To go further on that, I really read that as people uh, being put as cogs in a machine. They want the men to go into the cars because they're a process that's meant to do the man thing. You're supposed to split wood and fix cars and, you know, fulfill that nail. Yeah. (laughs) I love that they were like, we want to make you straight, but at the same time, we'll use sports as a threat. Because there's no gay person out there that likes sports. I mean... Like basketball uniforms or baseball uniforms? Come on. I know, right? Like, but that movie was great about picking those things out, holding them aloft, and then intentionally being oblivious to them. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah. It's how it got a lot of its charm, is it wouldn't this era of, you know, ignorance and decided to both embrace it and make fun of it at the same time by putting it in a context of people who are oblivious. So it's a joke that if you're not ready for the joke, you're not going to catch the joke. Yeah, and I... Um, I really liked that, um, Megan was kind of the only, uh, one in the group who wasn't stereotypically lesbian, Mm -hmm. like all the other, like all the other people, because it made me, um, it gave the audience a view to realize, oh, like, gay people aren't just all stereotypes, they are also real people. Because <laughs> it, uh, it was just her on the girl's side and then Rufio on the boy's side. Oh, the world that just, uh, I forget the actor's name, but it's, you know who I'm talking about. Was I Rufio. know exactly who you're talking about because I had to try and place him while I was watching it too. I was like, oh, it's Rufio! Rufio! That, 
Rufio. That took me about all of about half a second because Rufio <laughs> and then freaking Zuko from Airbender. My honor! I just expecting to scream my honor in every role that he's in. But it was, they developed the game very importantly in the field because they weren't there to fill a role. They were there for the actual story. And uh, Clea Duvall's character, I don't remember her name. But Graham. Yeah, Graham. There you go. Uh, her character was just <laughs> the same character she always plays. Yeah. Goth slash lesbian question mark. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Could be one. Could be the other. Could be both. You won't know. We won't tell you. Every movie I've seen is a millennial of her time. Yeah, right? <laughs> I liked how sweet Megan was. Just like, not only in her personality, but like, she just looked as sweet as freshly baked apple pie. That's the exact analogy I was thinking of. <laughs> Because, yeah, like, her voice, like, oh, she's such a cutie in this movie, but I have a really big crush on her and have, well, since I saw this movie when I was 13. <laughs> it awakened something. It, I think it did. You found your root. I found my root. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have another question. Um, I don't like to assume, but I assume you both are on the straight side? Yes. Yes. Severely in my case. Okay. Which I found a little ironic. I'm like, yes, let's, let's, let's throw the exact thing that the gay community needs on this topic. More straight white. <laughs> 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 Apologizing in advance for that. I'll try it. I'll try and be funny at least. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I try to get well, more gay people on this. In order to balance that, though, at least, um, the only people that have come on to me in the last, like, five years have been black men and gay men. And black gay men, apparently. Yes. Because it'd be weird if there wasn't any overlap there. Wait, you're only going to come on to, like, black men? <laughs> black women and gay men. Let me switch that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everybody on every spectrum but i we figured out why it's because i'm at 100 percent bromance all of the time so i send up false flags everywhere it doesn't matter who who someone is it's my, my relationship with them will be a bromance and if they're looking for more than a bromance they might get some false flags i have seen your bromances they are precious yeah they're severe and prevalent <laughs> They're precious. But anyway, if you guys had a root, what would it be? Oh, God. Uh, Wait, root for hetero or root for homo? Yes. For either? Uh, I actually have an answer for both. (laughs) Uh, I do. Um, one, One is for the basis of man crush and one is just it's alternative girls. <laughs> it's, like I said, grew up real, rural, conservative, crappy, and as a teenager, I saw my first dark-haired brunette in a black choker, and something inside me changed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something from the 
face was forever altered that day. <laughs> <laughs> and on the other side, it was like the start of my ability to process man crushes as man crushes was definitely David Boreanaz and Angel. <laughs> I wanted to be that guy so bad. I loved that show. I loved every character. Loved every character to death. Oh God, Willow! In high school, I was Xander, except with fewer friends. Just I loved everything in all of those shows. But Angel was the character I wanted to be. And you have a puppy and, named Willow. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> that ain't a coincidence. <laughs> The big goofy ginger. Yeah, no, this is not a coincidence at all. <laughs> Willow is amazing and has her own Instagram. Aww. Oh, she's an adorable puppy, and she knows it too. Anytime we've got food, she just. Oh, I remember the day she figured out that putting her chin on things was cute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joe. Okay. Um. As far back as I can remember, very first crush, back in first grade, um, female, uh, April Summers, still remember her name, and uh, she was not born in April, nor was she born in the summer, so it's kind of an ironic name, but April Summers. And Every girl with a, a season or month in her name, you know she's not born in it. Specifically, <laughs> that's irrelevant, it's just that way every time. Unless she's a stripper. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there are different rules for strippers. <laughs> and then, as far as gay, I would say first man crush. Um, this goes back to high school, approximately. Um, and he's still famous, even more famous now. Mark Wahlberg. Oh, yeah. Oh, with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> Loved that song. And there was just something about his his very, very toned body. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and his Kelvin Kleins. <laughs> I mean, he's the first guy that had, like, an underwear sponsor for virtually no reason other than he didn't wear his pants high enough. <laughs> All right. Okay, we found everyone's root. I have to say something? Crap. Okay. Um, my first boy crush? I'm going to go with celebrities. But my first boy crush, I think, was Daniel Radcliffe from Harry Potter. I just thought he was so precious. My first girl crush? Jessica Alba. Good choice. Yeah, she was. She was extremely popular when I was around ten to fifteen. Dark Angel, real old right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when she said that Harry Potter was her first crush, I was like, "Wow!" I was like in college. Yeah, like ooh, that that age hit. Jessica Alba. I didn't even like her that much to start, and then. I found out about Dark Angel after the fact, and uh, then we just swung right back to the whole alternative slash goth girl. And I was like, ah, there it is. Damn it. <laughs> I'm going to just Alba. <laughs> okay. Thanks for playing along to that. Uh-huh. 
But yeah, like, I just, um, brain fart. So, um, there's a lot of pressure from everybody's family for them to, like, not be gay. Definitely. Yeah, and I, I cannot tell you, like, how happy my mom was, my mom gets every time I tell her I have a boyfriend. Because I, I think for her that means I don't like girls anymore. <laughs> oh, God. And it's like, it, it doesn't work like that, but... Oh, finally turned her! It's like, no. No, it's funny, me and my boyfriend will check out girls together. Mm-hmm. Quality bonding time. I had a friend who was in the closet for a very, very long time, and she finally got a whole bunch of stuff sorted out, finally came out, and we were at Red and Fair, and she pointed at this absolutely gorgeous woman dressed as a wooden She's like, that woman is absolutely gorgeous. I'm just look up and go, yes, she is. Like, you have no idea how nice it is that I can finally say that to people. I'll be here for you anytime you want to point out gorgeous women. <laughs> I will make that sacrifice for you. Yeah, it's always fun doing that nice. at, like, Dragon Con and stuff. Because there's always just gorgeous women in costumes. Mm-hmm. It's great. And you can say to, like, any random person, like, that girl's really hot, and they'll agree no matter what gender they are. <laughs> that is correct. Like no matter no, no matter how much straight of a guy you are, you look like someone points out a Spartan with eight with a freaking eight pack. Like they've drawn another two on top. You're like, well, damn. <laughs> the three hundred guys. Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. Not exactly a complicated costume, but uh, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Oh yeah. And you have to accept that. You also have to be, like, ripped. Yeah. That's, that's what I was referring to was the gym hours. Yeah. And yeah, not a lot of sewing on that costume, but there are a lot of sit-ups. Yeah. You can spray paint abs on yourself if you know how to use an airbrush properly. Yeah, but that won't get rid of the roundness. <laughs> way, way to ruin the magic, man. <laughs> also, thank you for giving me an in to get into the, the 300 Spartan. <laughs> You're welcome. For I'll, learn, I'll learn to airbrush before I get a six pack. I promise you that. Yeah. Anyway, back on track. But I will post a couple pictures of the Spartan guys on the website just so those who are listening and don't know about them can get a nice look at them. They're so cool. Um, cool, so- that's the word. Just so Addison knows where she can go and find Spartan guys at any point in time. leave me alone I have needs I'm supporting you thank you you'll be in your bunk (laughs) (laughs) that was a shocker sound that wasn't something else (laughs) okay Joe I don't even know what you mean by something else could you explain I don't know either I'm just saying it was a shocker thing in case you're thinking it was something else Oh, okay. <laughs> I love you guys. 
the two best straight men a girl can ask for. Um. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can do better than us. <laughs> not, not to shoot you down with me, Joe, but oh no. <laughs> All right. So, uh, they were rewarded for conforming and like they were rewarded with like basic things in the facility but that kind of parallels to real life like they might not be rewarded with material things but they are rewarded with uh, societal things for conforming to uh, heterosexuality and uh, gender norms. Yeah. That was definitely a strong theme throughout the movie, and that one was pretty low-hanging fruit for them, because, I mean, what is the point of a scared straight camp if it's not gender normativity? Right. Also like that you mentioned low-hanging fruit, because it ties into, like, the simulation they have to do. Mm-hmm. Which is... Pretend to be interested in a guy for a day. Yeah, uh, right. I, I literally do not understand their mentality at all. Well, and it, it, it comes from a place of not understanding. They don't know how gay work, so they're not trying to make them not gay. They're trying to make them sufficiently act straight. Yeah. The end, in the end, both in the movie and in real life, they don't actually care about what the person's actually doing. They just care if they're corrupting society or acting in a proper manner that brings up a really good point that nobody really cares what you're really like as long as you act a certain way in public i mean like go onto reddit and read some of this some of the er hospital stories and you can see how what weird things straight people stick up their ass (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, no, uh, I have an EFT friend who confirmed that there is in fact an ass box. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. They had to be real hush-hush about it, but there is definitely an ass box. <laughs> I might need stories on that, but I'm sure... <laughs> Oh no, they made they made a good no point to be pretty hush hush about it. So, okay. Uh, no, no, we can't tell you much about the ass box. If we tell you what's in it, whoever we took it out of might recognize that it's them. So. <laughs> oh, that will break HIPAA laws. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was like, no, we can. I can confirm unofficially that there's an ass box, but I can't tell you anything more than that. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there were great stories about the ass box, but uh, he was too professional and would never tell me. Okay. I mean, I'm glad he's doing his job well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on from the ass box. I was just going to throw in there real quick on the same topic is that Graham, that seemed to be the number one thing she kept telling Megan the entire time is you just have to act it. Just act it out. You, you, they can't change you. There's yeah. nothing to change. You just have to follow the system. It's the only way out. Yeah, yeah. and that's and Graham is the only one who's been passing before. The rest of 
them were, oh, this this was a shocker. Oh, they got caught for the first time. And no, Graham was the only one who knew what she was doing and was trying to pass uh, pretty much the whole time up until she got caught and then her spike was too strong. Yeah. But spike doesn't get you to make the right decision. So when push came to shove, when spite was all she had for, you know, making sure that she was living out, she she bailed up until Megan gave her heartwarming speech. That was so precious. It was. I, I'm glad you keep saying precious, because that's the exact word for Megan in this movie. It's just 110% precious. She is! Like, she's so mm-hmm. cute. Like, the way her hair is. And, yeah. like... Except for the one time she ran off to masturbate and then totally ratted on those two guys. Yeah, that was lame. That was not cool. Which I thought was kind of interesting, too, is because she's lesbian, has lesbian tendencies, but yet she sees two gay guys and she freaks out. Yeah, yeah, she totally ran off to Jillet about another girl. She's like, two dudes kissing, not on my watch. It's a part of repression. In her defense, also, I mean, she's not really leaning towards penises, so now there's two of them, so maybe it does freak her out a little bit. (laughs) I definitely get the surprise. I totally get the surprise. But she also threw that rock really hard through her glass house. Yeah. There was way too many ewes that she spit out when she was freaking out. The ew, 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 ew. Yeah, no. Okay, in my opinion, if you run off to masturbate and catch someone else doing it in the same place you're in, you don't have any high ground. There's no high ground there. Context at that point becomes irrelevant. You ran off to masturbate in someone else's room. Look, whatever happens in there happens. You already made the decision to do it there. You can't blame anyone else for it. <laughs> Agreed. But it is a real thing, like, when you are so repressed yourself, even if you are gay, other gay people might gross you out. But I don't like her for writing. That was not necessary. Well, I mean, if you hit the nail on the head, that's what that scene was for. I mean, the girl just figured out she was gay, what, at that point, like, two days ago? Like, that's, that's a really short window to unwind your own biases, even if they're hypocritical, just... Oh, yeah. Two days is not enough to do a turnaround on your own person. Yeah. Like, undoing that shit takes time. I mean, I, I've, I have enough friends in the community now. Like, no, there's stigmas for all sorts of things in various parts of the community that affect other parts of the community. And it's just, getting rid of stigmas is not a magical thing that happens just because you realize who you are. Yeah, and I think, like... It does a really good job of humanizing her, not just making her this perfect caricature. Mm-hmm. She's not just the perfect, precious little gay cheerleader. No, she she does have her hang-ups. She does have her flaws. And this is going back to the original thing I said about the movie. If you're not paying attention, okay, it's a very charming love story. You pay attention to it, and like, wow, people put a lot of work into making this seem like a simple, charming love story. Yeah. Alright, and another thing that I found really odd is this was initially rated NC-17. Yeah, because gay. Because gay. Because... Not even just because gay, because women gay. 
Yeah, that topic has always either been either overly penalized or overly romanticized. No, no, you can have two chicks kissing, they just can't actually love each other. Oh, no. Okay, yeah. Like, oh. Yeah, it's like those... Leaves in all the wrong ways. It's like those t-shirts that I saw in middle school that were like, I'm for gay marriage if the chicks are hot. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you don't really care about the issues, you just care about yourself and getting your rocks off, you nasty. Well, and it's, it's, it's treating all sexuality as pornographic, which is a particular conservative hang-up that's really hard to shake when you're raised that way. And then you can make allowances for yourself because, yeah, you're managing your own impulses. But you push that to other people and it gets a lot harder. And, I mean, the cure for that is always empathy. Always empathy. But some people are really bad at empathy. So they don't... Some people are terrible at empathy. Yeah, people are horrible at it. Oh, yeah. Joe, you have anything to chime in on this? No. (laughs) Okay. That's cool. Um, And you guys guys have covered it so far. All right. That's cool. Um, I noticed you did add a couple things, like symbolism. Yeah, yeah. That, what, I w- actually watched this twice in the last two days. Because um, it's a great movie. One, because I love the movie so much. But two, I felt like there was some other stuff that I was probably missing. What, rewatching it the first time, because I watched it like ten years ago. And barely remember the majority of it. And one of the things that I found funny, first thing that I noticed was that the cheerleaders got free donuts and there's the symbolism of that um i thought was very small slight humorous uh one because cheerleaders would not eat donuts (laughs) because they have their figure and everything um especially back in the 90s it's different now because now you have cheerleaders of all shapes and sizes um but back then it's like you have to be 90 pounds soaking wet in this small tiny little frail thing in order to be a cheerleader, they would not be ordering donuts. Um, but it also reminded me of a Polly Shore joke in, during one of his stand-up comedies, where he's talking about his girlfriend, and all of a sudden his girlfriend introduces a couple of her friends, and all of a sudden he bangs them. He's like, show me a few donuts, and I'll glaze them for ya. I just thought it was kind of humorous. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And then another thing that I noticed that it was actually in between the two watchings. I was like, you know what? Because the first watching, I was like, this whole reform center is very basic. There's like nothing to it. It's very simple sets. Whoever did the set construction got away with a very easy job. (laughs) Because it's like, make a wall and a window and put a bed there. Yeah. Empire set. There's no. There's very, very minimal decoration. Yeah. Um, There's very gendered colors. There's not a lot of neutral, gender neutral colors. Yeah, they they brought in green just for splashes every so often. Yeah. But otherwise, it was mostly pink and blues, and very basic. But when you go out into the world around them. It was very intricate, very detailed, very complex. And for me, that was almost a parallel of what was going on in the people's minds. In reality, things are complex, things are detailed. And in this small reform school, 
everything seems so simple-minded. Everything to them is just black or white. And it's just like, this is wrong, and just take it as simple as that. Whereas in reality, it's not, this is right or wrong. It's like, this is the way I am, this is my life, and there's just a lot more detail that goes into that sort of lifestyle. Or even a heterosexual lifestyle, any sort of lifestyle. There's just a lot more than just that simple structure to everything. Yeah, if you're not going to accept the sliding scale of gender norms and sexuality, the easiest thing to do is color code it and oversimplify it. Wear blue, split wood. And then they miss the obvious things, like if you think you're, someone is gay and you're trying to make them not gay, maybe don't put them to sleep in a room with a group of people they're sexually attracted to. I know, that was... I think they missed the mark on that one. <laughs> yeah. That is bad planning on so much part. Okay, yeah. we think you're a lesbian. Now go sleep in this room with other lesbians. That'll teach you. Yeah, and we haven't talked they much about Mary. <laughs> we haven't talked much about Mary, the leader of True Directions, and also her son. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> they make it very clear through subtext why she's doing this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She is not okay with her son. Yep. Totally not down for that. And uh, clearly it didn't take too well. No. Uh, Did you guys notice when he's outside with the, um, was it a chainsaw or it was some tool? He's listening to a song and it's by RuPaul. I did not realize it was by RuPaul. Yeah, I didn't realize it was by her either. Yes, Stephen <laughs> pointed great. that out to me. That's great. Yeah. So I there was a, there was a few instances where he did very very subtle things. Where he he walks out of the house drinking from a straw, and the mom freaks out because of the parallel symbolism to him sucking dick because he's drinking out of a straw. Oh yeah. And it's right, just, and like. Where did I that love, connection come from? <laughs> well, and I love that she goes that severe on that connection, and despite how much she's hung up on gender norms, doesn't say anything about the fact that he's drinking, like, what looks to be a fruity tropical drink from yep. a hurricane glass. <laughs> no, it's the straw that's the problem. Like, okay, she would have been wrong with everything else, too, but she just latched onto the one thing out of the four wrong things that would she latch onto, and... No, the straw is the unacceptable part. Yeah, not the overbearing amount of hair gel, nor the cut-off shirts, but the straw. God damn it, the straw. Tug that hurricane like a man. (laughs) And in that same scene, too, she's, she's fixing all of these plants that are fake. The entire building and the life that's around this building is all fake. There's, like, nothing real about any of it. It's all just one big cover-up for her fears of her fears of, and of their lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, that's how, it, that's how it breaks down in real life, though. I mean, what's to really be afraid of someone loving someone of the same gender? No, what people are actually afraid of 
is of the breaking of societal norms. They're, they're afraid of people acting out of line or acting different because then they have to emotionally process that whatever that other person is doing. And for some pre reason, people are really freaking bad at that. And so that's what they rail against. And it's if she understood homosexuality well enough to, to make her actual camp actually targeted, then she would know it too well to do anything about it. As if she understood it that well, she would have at least started on some level to accept it. And because if you're running a scared straight, straight, scared straight camp, you're not accepting any of it at all. Oh God, no. Yeah. So she's in this in this position of that if she understood it at all, she wouldn't be in this position in the first place. No, and it's not that she doesn't understand. She absolutely does not want to understand. And a lot of people don't want to understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, had she put the effort in to figure it out, she would have figured it out pretty darn quick. But Yeah, because her out. son was flaming. Oh, yeah. And this, this brings up a quote that I had written down that I, that I found the second time I was going through. It was like, this one quote, I feel, kind of encompasses a lot of the theme of the movie. And Graham says this to Megan while they're having this very serious conversation. And Graham turns to her and says, maybe I'm just jealous that you love something. Yeah, and referring to I Megan's cheerleading. Like, yeah. But I feel that's also a parallel to just society and Mary. Mary doesn't understand, and she's just jealous because I love something, and she has nobody. There is no Mr. Mary. There is no husband in the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just someone because someone is lonely, upset, and sad, and it makes it easy to handle push someone else. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's something, like, I think about every now and again is societal the way society views relationships in general. It doesn't matter, like, if you say partner, girlfriend, significant other, people will always take the word husband or wife way more seriously than any of that. No matter how committed you are, I feel, uh, people will always take, oh, they're married, as a much more significant, serious relationship. And that's kind of sad because, you know, up until recently, gay people couldn't get married in most states or any states. Gay, nope. gay yeah, marriage I mean, the is significance is part of why that wouldn't, why people wouldn't let it happen. Yeah, they were scared of the significance. At the same time, just oh god, the, the last person I heard scream the most about the sanctity of marriage and the gay people and all of that was on her. Ninth marriage from eight husbands. I think she's on ten now. But <sighs> seven and nine were the same guy. But no, it must protect the sanctity of marriage. Like what? Okay, what? What even is the sanctity of marriage at this point, guys? <sighs> it's frustrating. Yeah, well, it's it's really hard to have an honest discussion with them because like you're never gonna win anything with these people with arguing or yelling against. Like, whenever you get really aggressive in a conversation with anybody, they find it very easy to go defensive. When they go defensive, they take it as a personal attack. They don't have to absorb, absorb 
anything you're saying. So the only option is an honest conversation. But when someone's viewpoint is composed and derived entirely from them intentionally sticking their head in the sand and intentionally avoiding empathy, there's no open door for the honest conversation either. No. And it just makes it really hard to make progress for some people. Yeah. But again, a lot of people don't want to make progress. Mm-hmm. I mean, people... If they're intentionally avoiding it, there's no way for you to have that honest conversation with them. People are so afraid of change. There's a political, a major political party in the United States that's devoted to lack of change. Literally calls themselves the opposition party? Yeah, that is the thing. So about the movie... <laughs> <laughs> Before we get too sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, about this campy, campy movie from the 90s. Um, it's really uh, a product is, is of its time, movie? even though, I, because it has so many things that a movie around that time has, like mm-hmm. pop rock and uh, out-of-reality montages. Yeah, it's, and again, that's something we already touched on earlier. They did a really good job of trying to, of making a thing that really turned a whole bunch of stuff on its head, while at the same time disguising it as a typical late 90s campy love movie. Yeah. It, just the level of effort it took to put something this outside of the comfort zone of everyone in the 90s and make it such a slice of Americana, both in the positive sense and negative sense, with spectacular effort. Yeah, and I really liked how real and non-manufactured Megan and Graham's relationship became. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like in most like teen rom-coms, the romance is just fake as shit and opportunist. Yeah, it's we put a boy and a girl in the room and thusly a love story. And in this case, <laughs> didn't really have that option. No. <laughs> That's kind of the point. And one thing I found interesting on my second watch also, uh, with Graham, you watch Graham and Megan butt heads for the first, I don't know, 20 minutes that they meet, and then slowly just kind of fall for each other. But if you watch the first time that Graham meets Megan as she's leaving the room, she gives her this wink as she's walking out of the room. It's very oh, yeah. subtle. But well, it's just, I mean... There's a, that there's was a hint of chemistry there already, but she's going to treat her mean for a little bit. Well, I mean, the way she introduced herself to uh, Megan was significantly less subtle. Like, literally looking her right in the eyes and going, I like girls. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, there was definitely, like, she was into her from the start. Yeah, I like how they had to go around in a circle and say something about themselves, and I'm a homosexual. Mm-hmm. And like admitting it is first step to healing. Yeah, and most of them couldn't really come up with anything mm-hmm. like extremely significant. Like one one guy was like, I'm Jewish and I'm a homosexual. <laughs> Him and his shiny yarmulke. Yeah. They push push both stereotypes so hard. I know. <laughs> I like how he was still in the yarmulke when they were outside doing chores. <laughs> the yarmulke never came off, as far as I can remember. No. Um, I just, um, it's just really funny, because, like, it gets stereotyped so perfectly and so comedically without being insulting. 
mm-hmm. which I feel like a lot of movies about gay people or with gay characters do. Yeah, it's really hard to embrace the stereotypes while still being genuine because if you're going to do zany comedy off stereotypes, genuine's kind of off the table. Yeah. You've got to sacrifice some characters to the stereotypes and the rest of the characters uh, to actually driving the plot. They do a pretty good job of mixing up in this one, though they still do fall into that trope. We, we already discussed how there's two stereotype-breaking characters and then everyone else is feeling sort of a role. They just do a good job of flushing those roles out better than is typically done. Yeah, I mean, like, the guys, when they're playing football, like, one of them runs oh, with arms flailing, and when they're chopping wood, one has his t-shirt his flannel shirt, like, tied up into a crop top. <laughs> I'm just like, this is hilarious. But, like, like I know it's stereotypical, but it's hilarious. Yeah, I, it's, it's kind of drawing that line between laughing with and laughing at. Yeah. At least, like, they didn't put them in a situation where they had to do this for the survival. They had to do this for a situation where they had to prove that splitting wood made you straight, which is... <laughs> Stupid to begin with, so it makes it a little bit safer to laugh at that they're bad at chopping wood because it doesn't actually prove anything. It's yeah. just how good they are at chopping wood. And it just reminds them how much they love wood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like the car scene did more for them for that. None of them were like, hmm, look at that man chopping wood. When they were under the car, though, oh no. Yeah. Like, uh, Working on the car reminded them of how much they loved wood. <laughs> yeah. I loved Mike, the ex-gay. Mm-hmm. And the ex-ex-gays? Yes, the ex-ex-gays. <laughs> they were probably the most realistic part of the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. These guys that got through the camp, they're like, yeah, we're straight now. I'm like, wait a minute. No, this was all horseshit all along. Yeah. Oh, man, did they suffer for it. Did you just, like, remember that scene? They had boarded-up windows. Like... Yeah. How often do people got to be throwing stuff at your house and you actually have to board up your windows? Yeah. I mean, people are against something. They're really against something. I used to go to uh, beauty school across the street from Planned Parenthood. So, oh boy. yeah. Um, I saw protesters out there every single day that clinic was open. It, it's ridiculous. People, people are very... People like being angry about stuff. People like being angry about stuff. They do. It, it makes people feel important and valuable. And that's not how that works. No. You want to be important and valuable, you have to give back to your community. You don't, ha- you don't get to assault yeah. it and harass it. And you, well, you'll see this in every demographic of people, really. I mean, you'll, you'll even see this with people on the liberal side, where they just oh, yeah. prefer being angry to actually being constructive. They'd rather start a fight than have a conversation. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it reminds it, me of that South Park right, episode. It with... is more prevalent in the conservative crowd nowadays. It's just got a, lot more, a longer list of stuff to be angry about. Yeah. Well, it's made up, but still very hard on that long list of made-up stuff to be angry about. Yeah, it reminds me of that South Park episode where it's set in the future and they're all atheists, but they're still at war. Yeah, they're, they're at war about their types of atheism. Yeah. Which, I mean, considering how the Christian church has gone with the different demographics inside the uh, Christian churches, that episode is really on point. Oh, yeah. We always find something to kill each other over. Yeah. 
sums up humanity. I'm sorry, not humans in that case. Wasn't it otters in the future in that one? Yeah, it was otters. Yeah, yeah. Hyper-religious, about atheism, otters. Yeah. Just to make it ultra-realistic. So what are some other things you noticed about the movie? I mean, how the parents were incredibly not helpful, for one, which wasn't a lot of depth to that one. It was just, this is the way things are. Yeah. But I did like how at the end they came around. Yeah. And they were at a um, PFLAG meeting. I was going to say, what was it, like the gay parent-teacher conference? It looked like it was at a school. Um, uh, Yeah, they they, they came around. Yeah. Were were all the parents there? I don't think all the parents there. I think Megan's parents were there. Graham's parents, yeah, I, I think, kind of just abandoned her. Yeah. Which yeah. happens quite a bit. It does. Which was one of the things they glossed over at the end of the movie. We were like, yay, we're running off into the sunset. And she's been disowned. And that she's probably going to be disowned. And the happy ending was showing out that, no, only one of them was disowned. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a harsh reality that parents will disown their children. Like, if they're not the way they want them to be. Not even just, like, when it comes to homosexuality and heterosexuality. Like, there are parents out there who will disown their children if if they don't identify as Christian or uh, Muslim. Or even go into the family business. I mean, people yeah. will find a way to Yeah. Oh. I mean, I did like about this movie, though, is that they, they took every possible scenario. So they have the parents that will disown and did disown. They got the parents that threatened to disown but ended up coming to an understanding and, and that they covered all of the basis for, for everybody. Well, I think what's important about Megan's parents is I don't think they ever actually threatened to disown. They just didn't understand they thought oh no it was something wrong they thought they, they were, were doing something good for her yeah and i mean that that's also a good thing of how someone who thinks they're helping you can really not be helping you oh yeah which that's definitely the camp they were in but I mean, the, that little clip at the end of the movie where they're like yeah my kid's gay and it's totally fine that, that it's such a little thing but it's such a huge thing yeah and that just goes back to what you said, Joe, but they've got all the flavors of parents there, which really accounted for a lot. Like, so it's really interesting how one person got sent there for trying to get her family to eat tofu, and another person was sent there for giving a blowjob at, what, a bar, bar mitzvah? Bar, bar mitzvah or graduation? Like, yeah, these are two very different scenarios to get sent to camp for. Yeah. They made sure that uh, everyone ran the gambit. Yeah. Which I think made it more relatable to more people, especially now that, I mean, people come from all sorts of different walks of life compared to even just 20 years ago when this came out. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing I think what fuels homophobia is a lot of people who are very old school are just not willing to accept that people have sex other than for procreation. Yeah, general conservatism is definitely a big theme. 
And a part of that is always like, I think we touched on this already of attaching sexual orientation to sexuality. Like, you know, just because someone likes a certain type of person doesn't mean that they're absolutely rapid at support them. Oh, yeah. Like, and that it's just one of those big misconceptions that was around in the movie and in real life. Especially in the bi community, the bi stigma drives me nuts. Oh, yeah. Trust me, I'm aware. Like, that would exist in the LGBTQ community. Just the stigma against bi people being ravenous, rampant sexual people are just everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bisexual demisexual. For anybody who wants to know what that means, I like both genders, but I have to, like, be emotionally invested in them to want to get their pants off. It's, uh, sometimes I don't think. I exist, but that's a whole different thing I have to get into with my therapist and maybe a quantum physicist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, tying it back to the movie again. That's bisexuality is also completely and totally ignored in the movie. Oh, yeah. I have a crush on a boy. Great, you're cured. You're not gay anymore. Well, let's be yeah. real. Bisexuality wasn't really acknowledged in the 1990s. I mean, everybody thinks Freddie Mercury's gay. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that will go away with the new Bohemian Rhapsody movie, which I am 100% on board with. Holy shit. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I really love that actor. He's, he's been real good in everything else he's been in. Oh, yeah. Uh, a Ramsey's something? Uh, Rami Malek. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He is, uh, he's amazing. He is. Uh, yeah, it's like, like in real life, the movie just completely ignored that bisexuality is a thing because that's even more confusing for people who purposely put their head in the sound saying how could you like both understand the inversion but how how could you like both i mean have you ever mixed chocolate ice cream and vanilla ice cream pretty damn good yeah i like neapolitan i mean we're getting into a whole different sub uh subsect of pansexuality with that joe yeah, I was gonna say, like, I'm not sure we have enough time on this podcast to explore the metaphors of, of ice cream flavors, sexuality. Then we have to, what did the rainbow sprinkles mean? What's the whipped cream? No, no, I think I know what the whipped cream is. Never mind. <laughs> uh, that could be a whole different podcast with a completely different content rating. <laughs> uh, too long didn't read what ice cream you eat correlates with your sexuality. I have no basis for that, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Damn it, my favorite flavor is vanilla. That, mm. There's probably a Facebook app that'll tell you. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's definitely a quiz somewhere on some website that's gonna be 80% ads. I mean, I have a personal saying is the only thing that I like vanilla is my ice cream. <laughs> that's the motto I live by. That's the way to go. I really hope my parents never listen to this podcast. <laughs> I mean, we could say it a lot worse. I mean, the whipped cream line is pretty... Yeah, we're not going to go into that. So, and uh, I think this... I'm making more innuendos just so your parents can never listen to your podcast. I mean... I love the Choco Taco. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that would require my parents to have an interest in me, so it's fine. They're not going to listen to the podcast. Oh, it got dark. (laughs) That's a joke. That's a joke. I have to. My parents actually wanted to listen to the podcast, and I was just like, eh, please don't. <laughs> please don't. Yeah, I'm not going to send the link to my parents either. No. <laughs> they're, they're already struggling with the fact that they think I'm a Democrat. Oh, God. 
<laughs> really, I'm independent. No one out there panic. But yeah, like that's that's how I, I am. I am a. I've said some not Republican friendly things, so now they think I'm a 110 percent Democrat who worships at the base of Hillary and wants to her to be the next overload of Mars or whatever insane crap they're going through these days. GOP, but but John, <gasps> but John, butter emails. Butter emails. <laughs> Yeah. I can't I can't say that phrase with a straight face anymore. I don't think I ever could. Anyway. You can't be taken seriously if you say that phrase with a straight face anymore. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, a too political here. Yeah. I will say I when I was younger, I did used to taunt my parents by telling them I'd vote Democrat when I was older. <laughs> <laughs> I love my dad to death, but I have literally seen him drunkenly walk off muttering about Democrats. Political identity is a very, very serious thing. Oh yeah, and I would like to get into that on another podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, why don't we start wrapping this up? And um, one of the main topics I want to focus on before we say our goodbyes is acceptance. And uh, we touched on this before, how uh, Megan's parents eventually came around and started to work on accepting her and as much as i think like you should just accept gay people like from the moment you're born i i do want to say that it can be really hard for people to accept something that it completely challenges the way they grew up i don't think it's impossible and i don't think it's a good excuse but um i'm a really big fan of uh both the original queer eye and the new queer eye and uh, one of the things that uh, one of the guys from the new, new series says in the uh, series premiere is that we were going for tolerance with the first series and now we're going for acceptance and how there's a difference between the two. Because like 10, 20 years ago, like it was just about tolerating people who were different from you, pe- people who were gay, people who didn't conform to gender norms and people who didn't people who didn't even conform to gender itself and now um we're moving on to a phase in our society where tolerance isn't even the beginning we have to start with acceptance you know i'm not sure what to say about the starting point but i feel like we're at a point in society where tolerance is the stage of this is a new thing that i don't understand it's not like me I just need to not freak out about it. And it's more, that that was, that phase was more about people getting introduced to something that was outside of their personal realm. And in today's society, you can't grow up and not know about gay people anymore. Oh, God, no. Is is a step of progress. And I, I think that's really where it is. Everyone's got their own starting point. But tolerance should happen long before that. Like, you, you should have that conquered before you're an adult. Otherwise, you've been in some really bad situation where you've had your head buried in the sand and you've let it stay there. Yeah. I mean, like, you, you can't... Someone else may have put your head there, but if you reach adulthood, but still not having to be like, oh God, I've never had to confront personally the idea of people being gay, then clearly you put some effort to keeping your head in the sand. Well, thankfully nowadays, porn is so accessible that people will know what gay is before they even know what sex is. <laughs> yeah, but that's also its own problem. Like, yeah. sexuality in porn is, is a huge problem, because 
this is actually a topic I have a whole dissertation to talk about on um, nudity now versus nudity in the 90s. It, it goes the same way as the way that we portray gay in, in movies and in porn. Because in the 90s, women were either fully clothed throughout the entire movie or they were disposable people who got nude. Got nude. Oh, yeah. If they got nude in a movie, they were not a main plot character. They were definitely not the protagonist. Even Scream had a whole plot point about, oh, you had sex, you're now disposable. And oh, yeah. That's how sex nudity was in the 90s. And we go in modern day, and then we have the Mother of Dragons, and it's a much healthier take on things. And we have to be careful with that. Like, yeah, kids can Google gay and find porn, but that's also not going to show them an actual story of... Two people who love each other and can't find love in their own genders and some redneck that's really upset about that makes their lives hard for no reason. And yeah. Gets put in this context where it's disposable as opposed to relatable. And as we talked about earlier, empathy is the key to pretty much everything. Yes, I completely agree. And I, this is why yeah, I like true. having you on the podcast because you have so many different perspectives about I'm everything. Very loud about it. Well, Guess what? You have a place to be loud about them because I love listening. Hooray. Hooray. Right, Joe, do you have anything to add? I completely agree with everything he just said. But one thing that had crossed my mind while we were discussing all of this, too, is that I feel like the opposite of acceptance is just ignorance. It's just not knowing and not understanding. And that tolerance is just that first baby step of, okay, don't know what's happening I'll be okay with it, not quite okay with it, but then you get to that acceptance of, okay, it's just the way it is. And I, I feel like that's for a lot of things, just in change in general. Yeah. Even at, even at the workplace, if, okay, refrigerator's now only holding fruit. Don't put any meat in there because it spoils or whatever. And then, okay, well, I'll tolerate that. And then eventually you just accept it. Um, any sorts of change, it's just... That's the first step. And so being able to have that tolerance of at least progress yeah. in the right direction. Yeah. I get that. Because, because, like, I get to a point I understand ignorance in its most basic definition. Like, you just don't know. I do not accept, and I will not accept, willful ignorance. When you do know, you just don't care. You don't have the empathy to care. And that's just not I something... I think this is where we need to draw a line between ignorance and hatred because ignorance is not knowing if someone doesn't know yet then that's the only time you can properly call it ignorance if someone's been exposed to it if someone's had it explained to them if they've had a reasonable chance to absorb it and accept it it's not ignorance at that point if they're still railing against it with violence having witnessed something that's doing no harm to anyone that's just raw hate yeah and i feel like in attempt to be PC, we've given that a lot of leeway um, of putting it under the banner of ignorance. Oh, they said this hateful thing. Well, they're just ignorant. Well, okay, if they've never been exposed to it, they don't understand it, maybe you can say that once or twice. But Nowadays with the internet, you don't happen. have the chance to be ignorant about most things unless you just right. straight up don't have access to the internet. And exposure, uh, there's just... It's really hard to actually be ignorant of anything as a grown adult in modern times. Yeah. And that really limits that from being a thing of actual ignorance and just not understanding, not having empathized. I mean, there are exceptions to that. I mean, there's 
things in the community, like, okay, everyone's been exposed to gay. Not a lot of people have been really exposed to the struggle that trans people go through. So you're going to see more ignorance on that than you will with general gay people. But at the same time, you just have to be cognizant of that line. Does this person just need information? Do they need an honest conversation? Or do they already know and they're just being a dick? Yeah, I mean, just... Uh, A line we have to be wary of, both to facilitate the honest conversation, even though it's hard and awkward and unpleasant and just no kinds of fun, but also when someone's being a dick and they already know that then we have to stand and be that line of defense. I keep dragging this wildly off topic from the movie. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. (laughs) I mean, uh, what I want to do with the Pride Month series all throughout June is uh, bring awareness to many different topics about sexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality, um, transgender, and all those issues. And with the films that I pick, I hope that we'll get to reach all the topics and get to talk about them in length. So I have no problem with you rambling on. All right. Challenge accepted. (laughs) But yeah, tying this back into the movie, I think we can all agree that this movie is enjoyable. Oh, yeah. Full of charm. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. Uh, Joe, what would you rate this movie? Uh, I would probably give it, like, nine, nine cheers nine, out of ten. Nine cheers out of ten? Yeah. I'd give it a hip, 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 hooray. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I counted that right, so if you were counting, I'm sorry if that was not nine. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was very well written. I loved the the subtlety and the balance that was written into it. I loved the character growth of not just the main characters, but also the secondary characters. It seemed like everybody somehow grew in a different way. Right on, right on. John, what would you rate this movie? I'd have to put it right around eight pom-poms, I think. Okay. things that... I have criticisms, and then I think about the criticisms, and most of them fall I'd like it. I would have liked it to be more in your face, but at the same time, the simplicity of making a charming queer love story at the time that it was made it was just an insurmountable task of its own that they totally freaking did. Um, I, I would have liked some of the characters to be more complex, but at the same time, it was meant to handle those stereotypes and make those stereotypes into real people, which it definitely did. And again, I would have liked the ending to have been slightly less or slightly less predictable. But at the same time, the whole point was also to have a campy romance story that challenged typical societal norms at the time. And was like, look, no, gay people are actually totally fine having their own love story. Cool, don't worry about it. And again, they pulled it off. So. I have things that I would have liked to see more of, but given the context of the year, I can't rate it lower than an eight. Awesome. And and for me, I'm with Joe. I give this nine. Nine cheers, nine pom-poms, nine cute little Natasha Leones. Because once again, she's precious. Uh, I really okay. uh, think this movie is my root, and <laughs> I appreciate it a lot. I think it's well acted. I think it's well written. 
I think it was extraordinarily casted, you know, right with uh, casting Natasha Leone as just this cute, perky little cheerleader to uh, RuPaul, who was um, a huge star in the 90s and a significant part of the gay community in the 90s. And still now. And still now. I am... I am so on RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> I listen to his podcast. Uh, RuPaul has an amazing episode of his podcast with Natasha Leone, and they do talk about this movie a little bit. So if you're able to find that, uh, it's worth a listen. But yeah, this movie is absolutely lovely. I dig its humor. I dig its message. I think it's important to watch. And you know, I'd recommend this to any teen or even preteen who's going through a difficult time with their sexuality and hopefully this will lead them in a direction to their true self. Huh? See what I did? Their true direction? Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. <laughs> I tried. You know what? I think it'll actually do a very good job of that. I mean, like I said, every complaint about I have about the movie gets cut short because does a great job of showing a very realistic example of well, what we could most hope for from a campy love story in that situation. Yeah, I definitely agree. So, I think that wraps up our discussion for But I'm a Cheerleader. Alright, so thank you so much, Joe and John, for uh, taking time out of your schedules to talk about this with me. And for you, our listeners who are digging the podcast, I appreciate you all for listening, and if you like us and want more of us, you can find us on our website, extraordinary.com. We're on Twitter at Extra Unordinary, and Instagram at The Extra Unordinary. We're also on Facebook. You can search The Extra Unordinary and find us on there. Alright, you guys want to Say goodbye. Any parting no. words? No, I, I think I rambled on enough. Uh, hopefully I didn't piss anybody off. And uh, if you did, I hope I made you think at least. Um, have a good night, everybody. Thank you, John. And, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And I just hope that everybody can open up their minds and heart and, and just, I don't know, take a look at this movie for what it is and realize the dark side of things, but to live on the light side of things. Rad. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a great night.